The ACAM podcast in the University of British Columbia is recorded and situated on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Coast Salish, tsleil and Musqueam people. I think uh, why film? Why the short film? Why make why make that stuff? Why do I like it? I, I agree with Natalie that it's it's fun to make to make things that I feel like are not on TV or not on Netflix. I'm not seeing represented and I and I love to I love to put together images that people maybe haven't seen before. Hello and welcome to the ACAM podcast. I'm your host, Moses Kelly Boso. On today's podcast, we will be featuring flows of thoughts on film and the filmmaking process from Natalie Morau, Fia Lu, and Alejandro Yoshizawa over a series of two conversations conducted by myself. My conversation with Natalie and Thea centers around the two's short film, No More Parties, which Natalie directs and Thea produces. We talk about inspirations for the project, takes on diasporic cinema, and the artistic process of representation. Whereas my conversation with Al centers around his work as the instructor for UBC's ACAM 350 class, a class dedicated to community-based filmmaking. And using the notion of finding the film in the edit as a guiding post, we found this podcast in the edit where Nat, Thea, and Al's words found ways to complement each other. I don't know. Um, I've always been interested in filmmaking, I think. Um, and I think it, it like started off as just like photography as a hobby. This is Natalie. Natalie Morau is a fourth-generation Japanese-Canadian filmmaker and educator from Vancouver. Her work explores themes of generational disconnect, personal memory, and communication. She received her BFA in film production from Simon Fraser University. Her graduating film, Floating Light, went on to play at festivals such as the Asian American International Film Festival, Center for Asian American Media Festival, and Whistler Film Festival, where it won the Short Work Student Award. Her most recent film, No More Parties, was made with the help of the National Film Board of Canada's Filmmaker Assistance Program and had its Canadian premiere at the Toronto Real Asian Film Festival. It has since been selected for the TIFF Next Way Film Festival and Canada's Not Short on Talent program at Claremont Fair in 2021, supported by Telefilm. Natalie currently works as a learning and outreach coordinator at the Cinematheque, facilitating filmmaking and media workshops for youth. And like kind of enjoying writing stories here and there. And then in my high school, we had a film class, like a film production class, and also a film studies class. So I think that's when I started to grow more of an appreciation for it. Um, and then film school, that's when I was like, oh, like, I should start making stories that are like relevant to my life. And when I started doing that, I felt like it resonated with my friends a lot and other people. And I, and I just thought, um, uh, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> but uh, I, I just think that filmmaking, it really puts you like there uh, in the story, in the moment. Uh, at least for me, when I'm trying to like communicate something, um, I feel like it's it's so rich in that uh, you really can be transported to a different, you know, country or culture um, more so than other artistic forms. Um, and that's why I like it. And that's why I gravitate towards it. I started out just loving watching actors. This is Thea. 
Thea Liu is an emerging film producer who holds a BFA in film production from Simon Fraser University. Currently, she leads outreach programming at the Cinematheque in Vancouver, facilitating and delivering various filmmaking workshops and project-based community programs. Since June, she has also taken a position as a producer with BDB Productions Inc., a Toronto-based production company dedicated to black representation on film. Thea's most recently produced short film, No More Parties, directed by Natalie, will represent Canadian talent as it takes part in the Telefilm Not Short on Talent program at the Claremont Fair and Film Market in France. She is currently in production for her short documentary, Nanai, which is focused on the patterns of trauma affecting immigrant Filipino families and will premiere online in April. I did a lot of theater stuff in high school and I was always behind the scenes because of course I like to play with the tech and and with the lights and the sound but I really love to watch people act and then that paired with the fact that I I fancy myself a photographer and I love to take pictures and I love I don't like to take pictures on the street I like to take pictures either of just my friends or I like I like to take them by lighting and crafting an image and that trans and that's that comes from theater from building a set you know and planning your lights out and then that translated into film because I realized that if I wanted to keep watching actors and I wanted to keep playing with tech, but I also like cameras, I'd have to go into film. So it wasn't, I didn't naturally think of film. It's just sort of the culmination of all my hobbies. My, my route to becoming a filmmaker was, was really atypical. This is Al. Alejandro Yoshizawa is a filmmaker and assistant professor at the University of the Fraser Valley specializing in documentaries, community stories, oral history, and digital media, his films include the award-winning documentary All Our Father's Relations. Since 2014, he has also taught courses in film production as well as Asian-Canadian and Asian Migration Studies at the University of British Columbia. Um, I, like, you know, in, in, as an undergraduate at UBC, I, I studied physics and did a minor in history. Um, and then when I went to graduate school, it was for history. So. I didn't go to film school, like, um, you know, but, but my first film, when I made my first film was, was a, when I was an undergraduate at UBC, I, I, would, I would say that I was part of the community in which the film, which the film represents. So it was about my, my grandfather, so no surprise, family, right? It was about my grandfather who I was quite close with, who was, you know, born in Japan. Um, and it was made on the 10, 10 year anniversary of his passing. So, um, I just interviewed everyone in my family. Um, and we talked about, about grandpa and we talked about, um, growing up Japanese Canadian. We talked about internment. And so it was, it was really almost like a reflexive moment. I was, I was creating something for a class. I was creating something that was going to have like an outward public face, but I was, um, making it as just a, a family member in, in this random Japanese Canadian family. Um, so I was very much the community. I was very much part of, of the community that, that my first film came out of. Um, and then as, as I, as I sort of worked at uh, Concordia, where we did, I did, I looked at oral history and public history in particular, when you're talking to people about their past, um, it all always evokes community as well. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, to me, what what is a community film? Um, it's a film that uh, engages with 
with not only issues and themes and topics that are related to the communities in which we, which we live in, but also uh, collaborates with the people in those communities. And I think that's one of the main takeaways from ACAM 350. It's not, it's not the, the, the point isn't to make a film about a community as an outsider, you know, as a student or as a filmmaker. It is to try to um, give the voices and collaborate on, on, on like equal levels with the members of the community themselves, which is really challenging. It's really difficult. Um, and I certainly, uh, you know, give the students a lot of credit for their, for their, for their efforts uh, and, 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 and efforts to not only do that, to, to try to find these stories and collaborate ethically, but also, um, you know, just, just to uh, work with these different members in the community who um, sometimes might be reluctant or whatnot. So, I don't know, it's, um, I don't think you can put your finger on it, like exactly be like, oh, this is what it is. Um, but certainly those are the traits that I see come out in the work that we do. Yeah, so I wrote and directed No More Parties. The synopsis for No More Parties is that Rose, a young Asian Canadian, lives at home with her parents. Despite her sprained ankle and mom's lecturing, she attends her friend's karaoke party. Rose must face the consequences of her stubbornness, but reevaluates everything when she hears another voice that is louder than hers. Um, I actually wrote it in maybe my last year of university, so like 2017. Um, like that was just like the the beginning of it it wasn't really anything and then worked on it a bit more and then we ended up pitching it to story hive uh and it didn't get there uh but we ended up getting some support from the national film board of canada and their filmmakers assistant program and then that same time i was going to be moving to japan uh for the jet program so i was like oh shoot i have to actually make this film <laughs> so i think we filmed it and i was packing up to move all in the same month uh, so it kind of happened really quickly, and I kind of wish I had a little bit more time to work on it, but it pushed me to actually get it done and make it, and ended up editing it while I was away in Japan, and then came back from Japan, and now I've released it. Yeah, so we shot the film back in 2018, and that was a two-day shoot. should have been three, but that's how <laughs> far we could get, and um then, as you know, Natalie went to Japan, so we waited and we waited. That was the editing process, which I suppose was kind of like a remote editing collaboration. We had the music done in Montreal by a good friend of ours. And then Natalie was editing Japan and I was helping our DP color in um, in Vancouver. I didn't, I didn't color, but we were collaborating on that. And I was sending versions of the of the premier project out to to our colorists and dropping off the drives and I was kind of helping Natalie with synchronizing titles and 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 all and sound of course I I sunk the sound in the end but the I guess you also asked like what was like the inspiration for it, how it kind of started in my brain and um there's kind of two parts to it so the first part would be um there's a lot of talk about the affordability crisis um and kind of like uh, representing, I guess, uh, foreign buyers and these satellite kids in a certain light. Um, and I thought I would kind of put on my take about it uh, because I grew up like around some satellite kids, like they would, you know, live alone in a house and then go to high school with me. Or uh, they maybe would live with their grandparents while their parents are away. 
Um, and so I kind of wanted to like humanize them a bit more, show it from their perspective, um, not in a dramatic way. They just kind of like, here is the situation. Um, and the other half of the inspiration would be um, showing kind of the Asian household. And um, um, I'll, I'll say a little quick story, but like that inspired me because we were watching a film in film class and then, and it was a, it was a film from China and the girl, she was in her twenties and she's living with her parents. Um, and someone made the comment about, oh, she should just move out. Like, why is she being babied living with her parents? And I thought, oh, this, I was like really offended by that. But I didn't say anything. And I felt like, oh, well actually maybe they don't understand. Like there's a bit more of a comfortability staying at home with your parents. Like all my other Asian friends, we all kind of live at home with our parents and we don't, we're not rushed to move out. Um, so I thought, oh, okay, well, we don't see that household in the media very often. I wanted to show that. So there's kind of these two, uh, two sides of the story of like living alone and having your parents far away and then also living with your parents and kind of that feeling of it. One of the things I asked all three filmmakers about was what thematic, narrative, and genre through lines emerge within what we consider diasporic cinema to be, both from the perspectives of student filmmaking as well as their own work as short filmmakers themselves. With regards to uh, your question, um, sort of the, the, are there common themes that I see come out of the films? I would say yes, and I would say it's probably not a surprise to anyone if I said probably the two of the biggest themes that come out are um, identity and family or family and identity. And, and identity can, can sort of extend to community identity. Um, you know, the students are, are university students. They're, they're, they're young people. They're, and I think, um, I don't want to talk in such like cliches, but you know, finding themselves and, and, and being able to, 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 to say something, express themselves, maybe using film for the first time. Um, yeah, we, we see a lot. Of, I see a lot of films that deal with with identity and family um, and a lot of excellent films, too. I think it's a big question. Diasporic, uh, like as a genre, is so vast. Right. Um, and I was yeah, I've been thinking about that, how like um, I, I feel like when you when you when someone mentions diasporic cinema or the diasporic genre, it's like you can't quite pinpoint it, right? Because it's going to be so diverse, right? Everyone has different experience. And um, yeah, I guess it is usually paired up with things or like you usually think of diasporic cinema as like having common themes, um, say like um, assimilation or um, uh, just, uh, yeah, anything like kind of theme, similar language. themes like that. Language, language loss, uh, generational divides, things like that. Um, and there's not really like a visual um a visual uh, thread that connects them all together. Um, there's always kind of like an in-betweenness. Um, and also I've been thinking about how, like maybe that's because, you know, say for example, we want to tell an Asian Canadian story, but when the, an Asian Canadian person wants to tell that story, uh, they have to work within the, the framework of the conventional way of filmmaking or the conventional sense of what a narrative is in that scene. Right. So, um, and so I'm trying to figure, trying to like, I've been thinking about that a lot of like, okay, what is this in betweenness of them? Or is there, what are ways that they can be, they're bridging and what ways are they breaking and things like that. As Natalie mentioned, the in-betweenness language, intergenerational issues, race issues. I also think of longing 
and missing something. I think of being torn between a couple, like two things. And I find, I like to think that the longings and the things you're torn between are really complex. They're not easy. It's not longing for the girl, you know, or something. It's, it's longing for your mom that you're never going to see again or that you don't know if you're going to see again, for example. Um, so I think that there isn't, I agree with Natalie, that there isn't a visual thread that you could just pull apart. I recently watched a film that was Vietnamese. It was by a Vietnamese filmmaker, but it took place in, I think, Germany. So it was a diasporic in the sense, in that sense. I mean, I had never seen a film like that because I've only seen Asian, Canadian, Asian American films generally. And so this one was really interesting. And I, I was really, it was hard for me to enter into. That's what I'll say, because I couldn't understand, um, I guess the culture that she was navigating, but it was really great. And I wouldn't say that visually it was any particularly similar to stuff that I see in Canada or America, but I do agree that there is a dominant aesthetic that reigns over all the films um, that I think a lot of the films that I've been seeing, such as at the Toronto Real Asian Film Festival, uh, the filmmakers aren't necessarily breaking away from, but they're just changing the mise-en-scene. You know, it's it's just completely different things in, in the mise-en-scene. Diasporic film loves to feature food. You know, there's food in every diasporic film I've ever watched. <laughs> um, that includes the one that was Vietnamese Germany. Germany. <laughs> it was actually about food. Um, so, so yeah, there's definitely themes. I don't know about visually, but it's, it's cool that the diasporic film is so vast, as Natalie said, it's, it's so much more than what we're just making in Vancouver. It's all over the world, actually. I'm still waiting on seeing a Filipino Dubai film. I'm waiting for it to happen. Um, maybe I'll make one. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's it's so vast and I think it's exciting. That's what I think about it. I think when I think about it, it's exciting because I can't wait to see what the next person's going to make. I can't wait to make a film myself. Um, there's just so many stories that have yet to be told. I think that there is an energy to it. And a lot of the diaspora, diasporic films that I'm seeing in Canada, they're coming from folks who are in their 20s, 30s. And that's because they immigrated or their parents immigrated in the maybe 90s. And so there's like this rise of films coming through that I, I'm I'm really enjoying and I'm loving that I'm meeting a lot of filmmakers who are about my age as well, at least in Canada. Um, well, I've always liked those those stories, those histories, those personal stories, those community stories. Um, like I said, my the very first film I made was just a just a strictly a passion project mm-hmm. about my own family's history, and I was uh, just fascinated just to hear. You know those 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 old stories, those anecdotes. Um, to hear how how larger you know socio political forces af- affected or like tugged on um, you know my family and and and, and on our and the various paths that that, that uh, they took. Um, with regards to, to to film and sort of the cinematic form, I would say that sort of the democratization um, of of film has been has been huge. So now you can use a smartphone 
you know, I mean, now you could have done that five years ago, use a smartphone to, to make a pretty good, pretty good looking film. Um, it was probably, it wasn't the same, you know, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, certainly when, when I was, when I was younger and more like university age. Um, I think that accessibility has opened up the, the a, a, an opportunity for so many of these stories to come out. And then of course you have, you know, new media platforms like for instance Vimeo or YouTube whatever where you can just put it up up there and share it with the world or share it with your family um so for me it, it was just a combination of I, I I love history I love I, th I think history is just a big story so I, I you know anything any type of history is interesting to me and then you have this this accessibility of these really powerful tools to tell stories and to 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 share stories and to to you know to to affect people um, it's probably that those two come combined. Um, so far, yeah, like the films that I've made have all been like very personal stories, uh, things that like uh, I experienced and then I put into the film. So for me, at least, like I, I just want to see stories that I think need to be told. And I believe I am the right person to tell it as well. Like I don't want to tell a story that I'm not fit to tell um, or don't have the right to. Um, and also maybe maybe there's it's like if I have an idea or I have a feeling like I think with no more parties it's like it was like a pent-up feeling I had at the time experiencing like living at home <laughs> I mean like I just need to tell this <laughs> and so I had to come out um and then with like floating light I think I I think floating light happened when uh Thea and I were in screenwriting class and Thea you were right I think you were writing Little Church and then we were kind of maybe talking about faith or religion or something or and then that sparked my mind and I, I started really thinking about how faith and religion have played a part in my my experience growing up and so it was something that was just like in my mind a lot I just had to put out there um, but maybe for in, in, in regards to like diasporic filmmaking um, yeah I, I maybe in diasporic filmmaking autobiography plays a big role because we feel like we 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 need to tell it I don't know maybe, maybe that's just my take on it of like we, we see it's absent and we just have that motivation that we need to, to put it out there I think that world building ends up being a key part of writing the script what is the world that you're working in you know what's the mise-en-scene going to look like I think I think about world building more than I think about characters not because I don't want to think about my characters, but rather because that's the one thing that I know I, I, I have mastery over. I know exactly what the world is and I know exactly what, it, what I want it to look like. You can kind of start with the tropes, you know, a Filipino guy carrying a guitar, right? But how can I, how can I make that authentic? Well, I can make it not, not um, I can make it indispensable because it is indispensable. Um, so I find that, you know, I sort of making little church and way back, I, I was, I was thinking a lot about what's important to me as a Filipino. What, what, what's, what binds all my, me and all my friends together. And I would definitely say that's music, whether that's music that we sing in church or that's just music generally like in no more parties. Um, and so I knew that I couldn't have a soundscape that was empty and soundscape is so important to me and Natalie and Anyone could tell watching our films how important soundscape is. I think that soundscape is 
as they say, it's 50% of the film or something, but it really is part of authentic representation. It has to sound right. Um, if you just put some props in, up in there, put a Filipino guy with a guitar in there, it's just, it's it, it's not really real until you make sure that the sound is carrying it and that you're hearing the right things. You know, when I, I mix the sound for a, for my film, Little Church, and I weave together so many, so many little things um, just so I could make sure that every single comment was right and every single note was right. So I think that is a huge part of authentic representation. It's the sound. Um, and it's, and it's a, a way to keep, to stave off the tropes. You know, it's easy to, and you know, Natalie, you do such a good job with that in No More Parties. It's not just some Asians in a karaoke bar, you know, like the shot that we specifically, that we, that we see of it panning. That is, so many people have commented on that shot because it's not just, it's not like fetishizing this like fun Asian folk in a karaoke bar, but rather the, the shot is speaking. And I think, I think that um, weaving in these nuanced elements are so are so tied to, firstly, of course, the soundscape, but also to making sure that you're not looking at a trope, but you're looking at something that is indispensable. And, and you've thought a lot about how you wanted to show that thing that you're thinking about. One of the parting questions I asked Thea before the end of our conversation was on her work as a producer. As a creator, how do you mediate the multiplicities of voices and considerations, ideas, and thoughts across a singular piece of work? It's a learning process, and I'm still very new at it, learning how to mediate the, the, the small things, you know. It's the small things. It's not the big things between differences between people and and therefore understanding their work. Um, as a producer, I want to work on all kinds of films. And um, of course, in my heart, I would love to work on Asian-Canadian work, Asian-American work. But I do realize that I'm not going to get to work on every project. Um, not every project I work on is going to be Asian-Canadian or Asian-American. And what I try to do personally is just research. Um, when I started working with this company out in Toronto, I watched the TV shows that they told me to watch. And, you know, I, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Ghost, but I, I've been watching Ghost on Stars, and it's great. It's uh, not something I would have ever chosen to watch myself. But, um, you know, even them telling me to go watch Ghost was interesting because I had never even heard of Stars, S-T-A-R-Z. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of Stars, but um, it's a platform for watching stuff like a Netflix. And, and, uh, so, you know, you got to do the research. So if someone says, this is what I'm inspired by, go and watch it and try your best to understand it. And that might even mean not only watching it, but reading every single article review about it. You know, listening to um, podcasts of people talking about the film or the TV show and then, you know, carefully considering and weighing why people are saying things about it and, and how I how I can relate to that or, or how I understand that. So... Yeah, it's researching and it's also just being very open. You know, I, I wasn't, I think it's really important to take people's opinions seriously and to take their inspiration seriously, to not just listen to them talk about their background, but to actually dig into it, to, to hear their whole story, you know, and to try to be friends with them. So I've been trying really hard to be friends with these guys in Toronto because I, I don't know anything about them and they don't know anything about me, but we're trying to build a relationship so that when when we work on a project together, there's a lot of trust. 
Across the two conversations, the final question that I had to give was toward L, and that question was, what is the power in indie and community-based filmmaking? Uh, well, for me, it's just, it's just um, um, you know, telling stories that you might not have heard otherwise, uh, telling stories that, that uh, aren't, you know, attached to a, a big, you know, big Hollywood studio production. Um, it's about not only um, not only telling stories, but also collaborating. I mean, it's about making connections that survive um, beyond sort of the deliverable of the film, um, and it's and it's about um, yeah, you know, giving a giving a, a voice and a platform to to people in, in, in your own community or, or communities that you're collaborating with. So um, yeah, that's what I that's what I think. And that concludes our podcast today. We'd love to give special thanks to Natalie, Thea, and Al for their contribution and for their conversation. The ACAM podcast is produced and created by the University of British Columbia's Asian Canadian Asian Migration Studies program. If you would like to contact us, feel free to catch us at UBC ACAM on either Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening.